Oh, Gimli, the fellowship of the cast, it's here! Like dwarves and elves, the dude disagreed, but ultimately remained friends and learned a little something in the process on this local summer reading episode featuring Philly native MK Asante's Buck, Jersey's own Bouncing Souls and their album How I Spent My Summer Vacation, and Professional Development Brewing's Personalized, brewed just for the cast, The Book Record Beer. Our guests are colleagues Eric Weingarten and Jared Ruddick, English and science teachers respectively, and we chose to rock Gone, Eric's least favorite song from the album, uh, just to fuck with him. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That was, that was all Gregorio. And, uh, and honestly, well, that's all I wrote. So cheers to summer and cheers to summer reading. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode... Six, six, six. This is uh, the <laughs> summer reading episode, uh, aptly named. Um, and so we have um, a memoir, uh, our first memoir on the cast by M.K. Asante entitled Buck. We have uh, How I Spent My Summer Vacation by The Bouncing Souls. Uh, and we have a home brew made especially for the episode by Professional Development uh, Brewing. Uh, we have the proprietor... Uh, my friend and yours, Jared Ruddick here, um, and it is called the T H E E book record beer. It's like I th- yeah, I think the it's book good. record beer. Yes, as if our title. Ah, right. I get it. Everyone, you, everyone get it. Uh, uh, here it is. Gregorio just, just like got that, there. It just, he just it got clicked there. Clicked right in there. <laughs> you guys will explain it to me later. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, let me introduce, uh, as always, I have, of course, uh, Nick Gregorio to my right. Hi, everybody. I, just, I totally missed my cue for a it's second. Usually it's usually Daniel me. who fucks that up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, of course, we have Daniel DeFranco. Hi. We have uh, my friend yours, the other English teacher who, uh, you know, I would say a lot of these conversations uh, from the kids often he and I will have like uh, throughout the day and that kind of like warms up for these uh, discussions so without further ado Eric Weingarten is here with us today hey and uh, science teacher with us the the beer the man the legend Jared Ruddick hello nice on the gray mic we have two guests today friends and colleagues if I were to introduce them as um, sitcom stars i would say that one jared ruddick is much like a uh midwestern jerry seinfeld in that he uh he's rocking some tennis shoes to go pick up those ladies and uh when he does you better believe that taxi's going straight to the party store um secondly uh one eric weingarten he has the uh, comedic timing of a Chandler Bing, but the <laughs> sexual prowess of a Joey. Uh, wow. Because you know his student teachers, uh, they, they have no no defenses against his uh, sexual prowess. So here we go. Uh, as well... Um, he does not sound like a pleasant gentleman. <laughs> uh, Just my, my good friend, uh, Daniel DeFranco, um, if I were to equate him to a sitcom star, it would be Larry from Perfect Strangers, without a doubt. Um, undoubtedly, I feel like his balky. But uh, uh, if I were to, then Larry was not. I don't accept that. Larry, Larry was a, a bit of a dick. Yes. Was he a dick, or was he just? 
American. Very un-American. I said American. Oh, American. Wow. I, I thought he was just. I thought he was just uh, very, very, very set in his ways. This is the way it is. I'm Larry. That's the definition of a dick. Oh. Well, then I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean to say you were a dick. I get tootsie uh, and I, I get. It's fine. You've acted some of the best. And then, uh, if I were to say uh, who Nick uh, Gregorio uh, most reminds me of, I, I in terms of um, in terms of a sitcom star, I'd say uh, you, my friend, are the Kevin Arnold of our of our group. Oh <laughs> You'll get that Winnie one day. On board. Uh, <laughs> on board. If and, uh, I was to uh, introduce our, uh, our 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 head castman Nick Mahalik <laughs> as a sitcom star, uh, I would say he's sort of like a, a Cody Lambert from Step by Step. That's what I was gonna say. Uh, he never wears he never wears sleeves. Lives <laughs> in a van. And, yeah, and we're in a basement. That's true. Yeah, and and uh, he always practices kung fu before. <laughs> Before each cast, I thought you were gonna say he rocks because yeah. he kind of rocks. No, no rocking. A little bit of rocking, I guess. Right. <laughs> oh, the in the van, but yeah, in the van though. Ironically, I did have a 15 passenger 1987 Dodge Ram van for a really long time. Not uh, that was at all. only to tie it in. Only owned by punk bands from Philly <laughs> from the time it was produced off the assembly line till uh, it died in my arms. I thought it was because you had the bumper sticker. <laughs> and if you needed somewhere to rocking. put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <If this band's laughs> All right, let's talk about nice. Buck. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, let's get right into it. We'll get right into Buck. It's our first memoir. Um, and when we're talking about summer reading and, and uh, you know, giving things to students, um, of course, creative nonfiction is one of those like hugely popular genres right now. It's exploding. Uh, and it's one of those things that um, I think the students uh, in a lot of ways – uh, really, really gravitate towards and relate to, uh, and um, you know, almost every grade I've seen that happen. Uh, and so, before we get into that, though, let's 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 get into the book. So, of course, uh, M.K. Asante, Philadelphia native, um, from around where I used to teach. I uh, taught a number of years up at Alney High School, and he is from Alney. Um, and he makes, I think, one of the stronger points here is uh, when he moves. Um, he makes the point to note uh, that that part of the city is incredibly mixed, right? Um, impoverished, but incredibly mixed. Uh, and what that brings with it uh, is, is, is pretty interesting. So when I was reading it, that was one of the first things um, that I noticed because I was like, oh, wow, I'm pretty familiar with the, the students that I taught there. And that school in general, Alley High School, uh, was fairly mixed um, in a way that uh, I thought was really actually a positive uh, of, of the era. So um, that was my first uh, initial takeaway. The other initial takeaway was that this thing is loaded um, with like simile and it just seems very, um, frankly, from a, like a, a writing perspective, very amateurish, frankly. It, it seemed like I was reading one of my students' um, first drafts, frankly, uh, in, in a number of instances. Um, and and I, I would argue that you could actually turn to any page and find at least three similes. Um, not that that's a bad thing uh, to use figurative language, stuff like that. But I felt like it read like he was injecting it in on purpose because he thought it would bolster the work. Um, and that was something that uh, I could not get away from. 
um, it can continually sort of sort of hit me. So um, for me, those are the two major takeaways: is is, is how he's describing uh, Philadelphia, his Philadelphia, um, and then also the writing itself. I felt like the worth of the content was in a fight with, honestly, the strength of the writing. Absolutely. I'd like to respond if I could. Of course. Okay. You know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> You've been so, here a while. Just, just right respond. in the first page, Asante talks about having a rap flow going on in his head constantly. Absolutely, yep. And there is, I mean, if you listen to any rap song, there's dozens of similes. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I was distracted at first, and then I thought for a second, I was like, I mean, he acknowledged the fact that this rap flow is constantly going through his brain. I think he was, just, with the similes, developing a cadence that would mimic... Perhaps a rap song. Because, as we know, Asante is also uh, a musician. Absolutely. Filmmaker. His um, book is very musical. It's extremely musical. And that's why... It's always the point of reference. Yes. True. And that's exactly why the similes, once I just figured for a second that that was the intent, it felt... It, it settled down for me, and it it was terrific. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. I'll back you up on that, Nick. Gregorio. Uh uh, so, you know, when you look at writing and you look at lyrics, now, you know, teachers, they, you know, the lie we tell our kids to get them to, uh, to like poetry. It's like, no, song lyrics, they're just, they're just, just like poetry. <laughs> it's like, no, they're not. Most song yeah. lyrics are, are, are dog shit. Yeah. And there's nothing, you know, literary uh, merit to them. Um, but in that regard, you know, uh, M.K. Asante being a, a writer mm-hmm. and, and a rapper, like this is... Uh, it's almost like a rap novel. Yeah, it's not. There's, it's it's not that. But there's. No, but it feels like it. I yeah. mean, it it it, it, it has a uh, a defined cadence to it. Yeah. But and would you listen to the same song for four hours? Is, well, I, that's that's my yeah. that's my argument because Does I he think get a it's pass? very one note. Uh, Does he get a pass? Ex- yeah, and, exactly. And is it because of the content and, and and what what he's putting out there? I guess it's more of like is the sociological merit here. Um, uh, uh, outweighing, I think, some shortcomings uh, from 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 the writing, um, because frankly, yeah, I I mean, I I I absolutely absolutely love the idea of what he was doing. Right? We have two we have two devices here. One that he is constantly standing on the shoulders of giants and putting Nas lyrics throughout. <laughs> right? Like literally right. taking them when they are literally like almost word for word referencing what just happened. Right. And, and so when that when that started showing up, I was like, oh, these are I mean, these are fantastic, you know, songwriters and lyricists and stuff like that. Um, and and he, he's throwing them in there. And, and then with that, he also has the other device of his mother's journal. Mm-hmm. So like much of the writing um, so almost isn't skipping. his in this. You know what I mean? What's that? Yeah. So, which I, I started skipping towards the end. The, the journal. What I liked about the journal because I, I I started being like, uh, is yeah. right when I started feeling uh, that way, he gets caught reading yep. it in real time. Same. Yeah. And that I actually thought was one of the most redeeming parts okay. uh, of this is that now I know every time the journal showed up, it's in real time and I feel as if the memoir is being written in real time. That's what got me hooked. Like As soon as the journal appeared, I was just like, okay. like I can actually, at the very beginning, like the, the rapidness of it and just, just I didn't, couldn't buy into it. But that journal appeared, I was like, oh. This is this is interesting. I, I, I want to you know read more. Exactly, because I feel like everybody wants to know uh, what other people think of them. 
And right. and a lot of times it was uh, Malo's being referenced in the journal, and and his mother is basically talking about him in the journal. I really felt like that was one of the more redeeming uh, pieces for me. Um, uh, the other device, which is uh, littering it with these with these song lyrics, um, at times I felt like they were uh, really powerful, potent. Uh, that they that they should be there and stuff like that. Other times, I felt like it was just an overused device that he was heavily heavily reliant on, almost I, as a crutch, almost not. I, so, how much do you think that his publisher, you know, he got he probably got the contract, and then they said, uh, you know, his editor, can we beef this up somehow? Like you have to add more because you know if you're going to charge people, well, I don't know, fifteen dollars for a book, that's it's only two hundred fifty pages, and that's that's stretched. Yeah, but I've you read know? a number of memoirs that are maybe a hundred pages less. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I'm memoir, like, memoir is a genre that that I don't think the argument um, that you're making holds as much water as if it were uh, fiction. Yeah, and I'm, that's just my—I yeah. I have no idea. And I'm just curious, sure, because it does. I remember feeling like there's okay, a number this, of people involved. Do we in need this? Like this? Yeah, yeah. You know, could sure. he could he just stuck right to the narrative and well, a hundred and fifty page book would well, that have been like super tight and yeah. well, right? Yeah. I, I, I must say, just again, I, I absolutely loved this book. Like, I loved everything about it. Like, I had totally tunnel vision with it. Yeah, when I, was I love teaching it. It's yeah, one of my I mean, highlights of the year. And I'll, I'll go into that later, why I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but as, you know, you talk about, he had his dozens of references to other rap songs by amazing artists um, that when in the book, uh, toward the end, when he's starting, starting to find his outlet, his voice in his writing... Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he does that at the very end you have three pages of him rapping well we get his lyrics exactly so it's like you have this build up his, when yeah. he's trying to be something that he's not through the entire book sure and then finally finding because his he's voice not a gangster. Again. well because yeah. he's not a gangster right yeah but like I guess the, the idea would be it, it's just, it was I in in my own mind, I thought like that putting all those rap lyrics in that in throughout the book like that um, was totally justified by the fact that you have his own words, his own voice in a huge chunk of the very last bit of the book. Right. Um, well, I thought that scene where he his his girlfriend Nia uh, puts him in the club to to do it to, to mm-hmm. actually you know say his own words and stuff like that i thought that was another profound scene for yep. sure i mm-hmm. thought that was that was certainly one that, that was um important and 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 tied things together that yep. that at that point um i was a little bit you know on the fence of as far as how much they were but uh yeah i i i did feel like at times just because it says this word in the lyrics he was putting it in okay. because he said that word in agreed the I, you guys talk about like the cadence and the rhythm and the musicality of it, and for me as a reader, I never fell in with the with the cadence. Um, I found it a difficult book to read. Uh, you know, you talked earlier, Nick, about that you just tore right through it. Yep. For me, it was a journey, and I had kind of had to force my way through it. Yeah. Um, How come? I, I just found um, I found the prose choppy. Um, Nick Mahalik, you said uh, kind of amateurish, and I sort of I sort of felt that way as well. I felt like parts of it were forced. Um, lyrics at times felt crowbarred in uh, that it was disruptive to any kind of rhythm that I could find myself in sync to. Um, and I loved 
the story. I think that there are moments of profundity, um, and I think that there are really valuable moments, but it was it was a difficult read for me. I was glad when I when I finished it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, actually, the, I guess I, my own experience kind of lended to the fact that I was able to jump into the book pretty well, just with the the amount of slang that was used in it, a lot of Philly slang. Um, like, I'm a teacher, and I, I taught a lot of guys. I taught most of my career uh, in juvenile detention centers. Um, and the guys that I would teach, um, I mean, it, like, word for word, like, with the slang and, and with the, just... and. And, and literally walking down a hall and then rapping a lyric and then going into class and sitting down. Um, it, it was it read like one of the kids that I taught spoke, and I, it was Same. it was gorgeous because of that. Uh, I just had this huge connection to it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned that because, like, I know at Alney we would read Third in Third in Indiana with the students a lot, mm-hmm. which takes place right around the same area. Uh, written by Lopez, who also wrote The Soloist, etc., etc. Um, and what's interesting is uh, he was a Philadelphia Inquirer writer, right? And so he's not necessarily, uh, he's, he's a journalist, he's not necessarily taking his experiences and right. translating them. This is a work of fiction. Uh, but it is profound. And a number of the students, you know, identified with it. I got, um, through um, Donors Choose, uh, Life is Funny. Which is written by a woman who was a um, a, uh, a social worker, and she kind of takes a number of the the kids that she interacted with and turns it into this really complex and awesome story where they all meet. It's set in Brooklyn and stuff like that. And I had all my students and I only read that their freshman year, and like half of them just kept the book because they loved it. Right? Uh, I I mean I would argue that there was actually a lot more graphic like sexual stuff and 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 profanity in Life Is Funny than there was in Buck. Um, and, and I had no problem, uh, uh, teaching it because they really just identify with, with, with these, these different, uh, characters and stuff and that the thing that I am getting to, right. Is those are people who are taking other people's stories, uh, and, and then, uh, sort of profiting from them, making them, uh, something else. Um, I would argue that the writing is much better in those and so when we're teachers and we're, we're, we're talking about stuff like that, it goes back to that, that point that I've made, I think, a couple of times now, which is I get hung up on and I have trouble uh, teaching something that I'm uh, struggling to find uh, the actual literary merit um, meet the hmm. sociological merit, the, 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 the sort of like, um, you know, which it inherently has. Right. I, I, I mean, it, it has a ton, a ton of accolades. I don't really read too much into that. More so that I'm seeing that I love the idea of like the time capsule type thing, right? Yeah. Autobiography of an ex-colored man, for instance, is, is another example of that where I don't think it's like the most well-written piece, but just to get this sort of time capsule of, of what's happening here and to this particular character, and it is, you know, true to life and, and, and stuff like that, someone's actual story, it has that power, that impact, and that, and that worth um, that I think is worthwhile. But I, I struggle with, like, if the students are, are, are reading this, are we, and, and I hate to, to say this, but I just don't know how other, how, what other way to say it, are we then uh, lowering the bar of, of, of expectation? That, like, what we're seeing develop here is, is, is this reality show. I, I mean, creative nonfiction is now a huge thing, but is what's going out there sort of um, not uh, 
uh, to the same standard as 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 what we would hope, expect, or want um, in literature. Well, I think that's up to the teacher, isn't it? Right. I'm just saying in general to the populace. Like, are we lowering, uh, you know, uh, the bar essentially if 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 we're giving this uh, such huge acclaim um, when I don't think it has the literary merit of some of the other texts that I've mentioned? So I guess I'll I'll say two things to that. One is um, it, it's a memoir, sure. so I don't hold it to the same standard. And we can talk about that. You know, did you hold a memoir to the same standard as you would, you know, a pure work of fiction like? Some that one, I absolutely you know, do. the Pulitzer. Like, I absolutely do. And, you know, okay, and, and I, I, I sure. agree with you, but I also almost seem, I feel like the memoir is different in that it's, that a memoir succeeds in its honesty and its themes, you know, it's, um, you know, particularly Buck. So does know, it need to be a realist text then? Uh, a memoir better be, I feel. Right, so then if it's in the per, if it's in the pursuit of truth, then story doesn't matter, and and here I feel like well, the story certainly really crafting a story. Like I, that was the thing I really liked about when I found and realized it was it was in like almost real time mm-hmm. that he had thought about this quite a bit. And with any sort of craft, you know that reflection and that and that sort of like really, uh, you know, taking the time to, to 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 consider all that you're putting out there. Um, I think. I was actually pleased. That was one of the redeeming things. I, I thought that he had done that, um, and and so if you if you if you're doing that, why shouldn't it be sort of say held up to the same standard? Yeah. So here, when I teach this book, I teach it for um, my creative writing class, and when we we do our creative nonfiction unit, mm-hmm. and then particularly memoir. So I, I don't I don't teach the whole book, but I I we we do the first couple chapters. We listen to M K, uh, Sante talk about yeah from Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia Free Library thing. He was an NPR. Yeah. Um, and I use it as as a model for my students who are, you know, most of them are pretty low level. You know, we... Exactly. I kind mm-hmm. of agree. Like, the teachers are like, okay, well, we know that we're sort of teaching at the eighth grade level. And mm-hmm. that's definitely not all of our kids. Some of our kids are, are going to be our bosses someday. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. but most of them that I teach in my creative writing class, um, I use it as a way to show them that they all the writing and reading that they do to, to get ready for the keystones and the um, the Iowas and you know just to pass the regular classes that you can write in your own language you know you're mm-hmm. still using commas and periods in the right spots yeah. but you can be a bit more honest and and writing and telling a story and you know I'm gonna call it literature isn't just this one thing that's been prescribed absolutely yeah. Absolutely. I, I think, I like um, is it a bridge or is it the end? That's, that's the thing. Like, is it a bridge a, to, just another to path. a number of other it's things? It's just another path. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Like my, uh, my pause is that I've got 180 days in the classroom. And that is very limited amount of time to teach great writing. Um, and I've got great writing dripping off the walls. Um, and I love and you know, this idea of sort of broadening the expectations of what literature can look like and kind of hearing different voices and seeing different styles of writing and seeing that, like, the way that you talk, um, it can be adopted in, you know, in writing uh, and it can be appreciated in that way. I, for me, I don't feel like I have room for it in my in my curriculum. There's too much great stuff that is unquestionably great and I can explain here's what great writing looks like. I think this this book is incredibly rich in theme, if not 
execution. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys. I, you guys, you had to have. Like I said earlier, I had blinders on when I read this book. I, I had such a like personal connection to it because um, one of my guys... Because you grew up as a... As a troubled black you. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. I know, five white guys talking about this book. It's yeah. ridiculous. But, yeah. um, um, no, I, in my first year teaching, I had a kid um, who loved to write. And so he started writing his story. And there just so happened to be uh, a writing contest around the corner at the Adrian Theater. Um, I encouraged him to send his stuff in. And he did. And he won. And he got the, the prize of that, of winning that was professional actors would act out the story awesome. on stage wow. in front of an audience of your family and, and friends. That's awesome. And I read this and it was just, it, it was beautiful, you know? It reminded you of that. It, it did. It, it, and it was, you know, never mind the fact that I later saw that kid in, in the King of Prussia Mall as I was trying clothes on with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in the husky section? <laughs> But he came up, he's like, Mr. Nick. I said, hey, this is my mom. <laughs> and do these pants look nice she, on me? <laughs> she's buying me these dickies. Teachers don't have moms. <laughs> no, teachers have no money and rely on their moms. <laughs> <laughs> to buy them their dickies. Anyway, uh, like I was saying, uh, I blew through this book and I loved it. Um, so... My so, my kids love it. Every time I I read it, who you else know, the teaches first chapters the book? And, I'm sorry, so you teach the book. Yeah. Who else? Anyone uh, else? I'm gonna be teaching it this year, and uh, that's something that the way that I'm teaching it, I I saw as the best way for me to do that. Which I have a number of different um, memoirs. I think of about seven or eight, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm gonna have my seniors choose. Uh, and they're gonna pay. I'm gonna give them sort of a brief synopsis of each and, and see what they what they uh, find most resonates with them. And th- and they're gonna choose. And I, I I think that that really works well. And 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 you know perhaps this is we whether we go back into the conversation or not. Perhaps we jump into how would you teach that because I think it's apropos right now. Yeah. Um, I would teach it where they have the option to read it. It's it's not. Uh, you know, necessarily force them. They have the option to read it if they want to, and then they engage with it individually, and they don't have me sort of like, uh, you know, not even guiding, but just but just um, having my commentary cloud uh, mm-hmm. whatever it is that they that they are uh, experiencing. Because I know I've been a little bit harsh on it, but it's only because of the writing itself. Um, I I think that uh, I I just I just expected perhaps. And wanted a little bit more. I mean, this is we're talking about a book that I have only because it was bought for everyone in the district, right? Everybody has a copy, so my expectation, frankly, was was pretty high. In the school district, everyone got one. Yeah, I have. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Every teacher got one, and I got a class set of seventy or wow. something like that. And so, um, when we're thinking about it, I, I I had an expectation, frankly, and 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 because I've taught and read Third in Indiana, because I've taught and read. Uh, life is funny. The expectation was that the the literature would match the the content, um, and and I didn't quite uh, see it as well here. And and like I said, I taught at Alani High School, had a number of students who might be characters in this fucking book. <laughs> to be honest with you, and and um, you know, I just I just I felt like it was this this like here you go, 
whether it was written from that from from that age, when he was that age, mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily think it was, but I think a lot of it probably came from that time because he ends by by giving us the first chapter pretty much right and, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like and, for word for word the opening paragraph ex- exactly yep. so in mm-hmm. my mind this is literally a 17 18 year old who has written this um and 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 we're getting it in real time i think that has a ton of worth well i mean he he, he made that choice as as a writer to keep it in present tense so right. you're going through it with him i think he wrote this as as an adult I, would well, so I wouldn't, but then he, he says, I don't it. think he's lying then, but I think that he, no, but there's much of this is coming from, uh, things that he wrote during that, during his high school years. Maybe. I mean, you know, Catcher in the Rye ends where it starts and that was written by like a 40 year old guy. And yeah, also with, the, with creative nonfiction yeah. or the memoir, I mean, you, you take liberties to tell the truth. Sure. Yeah. It's the you story know? from a life. Right. Not the story of life. So, I, yeah, I absolutely. And so, I, so if I were to teach it, which I'm going to, this is this is because I, I am going. <laughs> Even to though it, you I, hate it, I don't necessarily hate it. That's the thing. I don't. I don't want to really uh, get it get it hung up there because I think that there was a lot of really really strong stuff. Frankly, I found it near the end. I thought the the mother's journal was really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that um, he had that whole thing where he's not going to sleep. And he won't put himself to sleep. Uh, which I which I, I really really like that metaphor. I, I, I thought that was great, um, and and so there's there's a few, um, you know, near the end that that, you know, I, I might get locked up, but I'm not turning myself in with regard to going to sleep. But yeah. also, you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of that um, was really 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 strong, um, but, you know, then you have these other these other lines like, uh, you know, everybody has an angle out here like geometry. <laughs> I'm just like, that's a, uh, you know, I, and, 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 and the thing about it is, is I, I just, I want the kids to interact with it. I want them to be moved to read more from it. And if this is the book that does that, then awesome. Absolutely. Uh, if you see yourself, it's it, everything like that, you know, um, it's funny because not only we found, uh, there was like one or two notebooks underneath a desk. And we started noticing me and the other English te- or one of the other English teachers, and it was front to back, no periods, no punctuation, uh, story, uh, that reminded me much of this, you know, uh, uh, and and I was like, wow, with a little bit of just broadening, you know, checking out other other things, right? Because why do we why do we write well? Because we've read a whole bunch of writers who have written well. You know, um, it becomes ingrained. It's like muscle memory. And so I, I, I was thinking to myself, man, this could be so fantastic um, if if we had a little bit of polish on it, you know. Um, and where does that polish come from? It, to me, and this might be, uh, you know, an uh, in, inadequacy of mine, I, I think we write better um, the more we read. And and, and that's, that's just kind of where I am in that. And, and so with this, uh, I, I would love to say that this is a stepping stone to, to, to other works, things that he references, you yeah. know, frankly. I'd, I'd agree with you on that. Um, you know, I, I just this past week listened, you know, we, we went over this, this book this past week and we listened to his, his um, you know, a podcast he did with the Free Library of Philadelphia and um, NPR. And like he says, you know, good, good writers are good readers. And I like that because it's like, oh, shit, I hadn't heard that podcast of his before. But yeah. I, I've been saying it to my kids since day one. 
So it's nice to hear someone way cooler than me, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's got a published book, say the same shit. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have a fucking published then, book. So yeah. And then I he here? references a couple of other books that I've got in my back that I make kids read. And as soon as he says that, they're like, like whoa. And I was like, you know. Catalyst. Like, yeah. Stepping stone. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so I agree with you on that. And then I, you know, when I teach it, I teach it in my memoir unit um, to get the kids to, to write about their life and show them that, yes, your life has story and, and theme and things you can pull from because yeah. I teach in the area he grew up in. It, in right. this book where he says that him and his dad got into a fight at, at, at uh, Broad and Erie. Well, he lied a little bit. It's Broad and Butler, right? It's like <laughs> it's a block north, but Broad and Erie, you know, that's the major intersection. Sure, yeah. That's right next door. You could look at my window and like, there it is. Sure. So I tell that him that. was an amazing scene, by yeah. the way. I just wanted to interject that. And then he talks about it and the kids are like, whoa, that's like right there. Yeah. So it's, it is an incredible, uh, a real world connection for them, for their life. It has tons of that. So now, now we would now be saying this like if we were Cincinnati. teaching in Michigan, right? I don't know, but for me, in my exact school, you know, for my small segment of kids, it's it's perfect. Right. So yeah. I think there's merit to that in the sense that, like, one of the books I do teach is Price of a Child which was a one book, one Philly book years ago. Mm -hmm. So same kind of deal. We've got stacks of them in the classroom. Lorene Carey is, you know, is a Philadelphia writer and professor. And there's a lot of those sort of local touchstones, right, for kids. And I think that that, even though it's a slave narrative, it's not set contemporarily, um, it brings the text to life in a way that, as you said, Nick, if we were teaching in Michigan, I probably wouldn't teach Price of a Child. I would replace it with something that would touch them in that in that particular way. But, you know, they know where these places are. They've seen these things. Um, and I think that that does add, that does add value. And in that way, um, I think Buck, you know, could be a really valuable contribution in the classroom. I feel like for me, I would, this sort of summer reading episode is, is apropos. I think the best thing for me to do if I were to teach it is to put it in the kid's hands and say, okay, now walk away and experience it never talk to me again <laughs> <laughs> right yeah but that that individual experience i i totally agree with you right. i think that's that's the way i would i would i would best teach it and and maybe to see like what their writing looks like after having read it i i would be really interested in in, in seeing that you know because yep. there are all these really shining moments i think like you know because i'm doing uh things fall apart right now so achebe's text uses all those proverbs throughout right mm -hmm. and those really have a lot of worth well when he goes to visit his uncle down in Texas, he speaks in Proverbs pretty much, right? Where he talks about yeah. the two wolves inside of us. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, well, which one wins? Like one's like fear and all these sort of possibly negative things and the other's like truth and happiness and all this other stuff. Which one wins? Oh, the one you feed. Right? I think that's great. I, yep. I, I was like, that is, a, that is a profound moment. And that that little nugget almost makes that entire, you know, those misgivings I had like go away. Um, and with it, you know, uh, I would love to see what the kids pick out, you know, mm -hmm. what they're pulling out and, and what they're seeing um, and then what their writing looks like after. So I would, I would do much of the same, you know, if it is a summer reading where they get to pick something like that uh, and, and engage with it and then write um, their reactions to it or even create a piece of uh, fiction or memoir mm -hmm. uh, after I think would, would have a lot of worth. Um, and so, yeah, I am, I am critical, um, but that's not to say that I, A, wouldn't teach it because I will and I am, uh, or B, that I don't think that it has uh, a lot of worth. I have one, uh, one thing to say real quick. We can cut this if it doesn't work, honestly, but like I have, um, I've always said to people who ask me what, what 
what teaching is like, um, who couldn't fathom, you know, the sort of thing. I, I, I often liken the, the job to like, we go home to a fantasy camp, you know, and we, we teach guys and kids who are living like in a real world that we as suburban folk don't experience ever. Um, and won't ever if you don't read this book. Okay. Or books like it. Um, so not only do I think there's value for, for, for kids in schools to read it, um, to learn writing or to see themselves in or whatever, I think it's valuable for people in general. To, to gain perspective? Yes. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge perspective book. Can I translate what Nick Gregorio is trying to say? That a white suburban guy doesn't know what it's like for a black inner city child. Yeah. That's what you're saying. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Without saying it. Yeah. Well, that's what and, I'm saying. And, but that's, if you teach in Philly, that's who you're teaching. So you're getting, right. or you're getting a view into their world. Right. Which, you know, you know, it's like you thought you were teaching the kids. But they were teaching you. Is <laughs> <laughs> what you is what you're well, saying. And, and, and to, to go along with that point, you know, when you're when you're looking at it, um, he talks about the he has three different schools he goes to, mm -hmm. um, and I thought, and I guess that's that's really one of one of my major things is I wish, and this is the big thing, right? I'm saying here it's a glimpse of everything. It's a little glimpse of everything. I felt like nothing was more fleshed out or was fleshed out in the way that I would have hoped that it could have been, right? He could have really, if he is writing this, not as a person in real time as a, as a young mm -hmm. teenager, if he's writing as an adult reflecting, right? But putting us in real time, that's fine. But it reads as if it is because he's missing some things that adult would actually pull out and, and really, really sort of examine a little bit more fully. The, the, the schools, I, I felt like we got such a, a brief glimpse and he could have really dug in at how a public school works, how a private school works, how an alternative school works, because he goes to all three. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I totally I mean, looked on Kreffeld's uh, website to see if they were hiring Because so. <laughs> it seems awesome, right? Yes. And it is the it's one that... wonderland. It, yeah. It yeah. enables this text to be made. Yep. And, and, and it, it totally pulls out from him this, the, this you know, sort of like latent skill that he has. Um, and Because I'm not saying he's unskilled. I don't yeah. think that, that he's unskilled. I think he is skilled. But... Um, I, I wish, you know, it's another thing. And perhaps this is just me. I would have loved to have seen that fleshed out a little bit more, expanded upon, uh, because there's just so much, there's so much worth in that. And again, I'm a teacher, right. so I'm probably, that would probably piqued my interest, right? The other stuff that's in there, uh, you, you know, uh, gangbang, this, that, and the third, where he goes to the strip club and all, all this stuff, maybe that's what a 16-year-old that's what resonates with them. Whereas mm -hmm. I'm the dork teacher who's like, I would love to have seen more about the schools. <laughs> and that's what resonated with me. And that's where, you know, because that's where that's my That's a tremendous lies. impression of a teacher. Yeah. What accent was, <laughs> what were you trying teacher to Teacher accent. If I live it. Yeah. It's my, so, it's my TI-83. You're so, kidding. So making fun of science teachers here? Because I'm right here. Right? <laughs> my favorite Sorry, scene. Sorry, Jared. We're getting to the science Later, Jared. <laughs> you have a whole fucking segment, yes. man. Ask Jared. My my favorite scene, and I think it speaks to what you guys are talking about, is when he's sitting in the principal's office, and the principal's like, I'm going to call your parents, and then the principal tells him to take his hat off. And he sort of flashes back to this, what was his grandfather, who told him, like, don't fucking take your hat off for anybody. Um, and it put, it, it, it did give me, I'll take one of those. Uh, it did give me <laughs> that perspective of like, like you said, like you don't, you know, no idea not, what's going on. You're not teaching the kids 
they're teaching you, right? But what I've learned more times than I can count is I don't know what the fuck is going on with these kids in their lives. I don't know what they've been taught. I don't know where they come from. I don't know what they've been through. Um, and we get into, you know, Maslow's hierarchy. What do they have? What do they need? All that stuff. Um, but, you know, here he's sitting with this, these years of teaching and these, you know, this, all these lessons from the adults in his life who said, like, here's what you're going to face and here's how to respond. And the principal doesn't have a clue about that when he tells mm-hmm. him to take his hat off. And I thought that was, for me, that was the most uh, profound moment. And it resonated with me as a teacher in Philly, you know. And that leads most. right into the mom going to the psych ward. And, like, yeah. we've all, probably right. all had students that we don't know this stuff's going on at home, and it is. And they still show up, and they're yeah. like, I'm yep. sorry, I don't have my homework. Right. Yeah. It's like, if you would have known. Well, also mental illness, and that's what makes it a really great contemporary text, because all the things that he's dealing with are incredibly contemporary, right, and, and, and right now. And, and perhaps, you know, now as we're talking, um, he touches on a ton of stuff, right? And maybe it is, it, it appears superficial at first, but... When you look back, you start thinking about it all, you know, and you do see that that so much stuff was touched upon. So perhaps I was overly critical in the, in the <laughs> beginning. Now that I'm thinking back, but but really, I, I stand by you know what I, what I said about the writing. But but you know, as far as it's worth, it it certainly touches on so 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 much stuff. We're talking about mental illness. We're talking about various things with schools. You know, that friend school might as well be a charter school. I mean, he doesn't yeah. get into that, but that's a whole. That's like an 800 page book. Um, and, and, and all this other, uh, you know, and he talks about mental illness. He talks about, you know, uh, uh, the need to have money, make money and provide for a family yep. when one loses a parent, um, you know, because they leave or because they're in a psych ward or whatever it is. And, and, you know, um, just like growing up sucks and is tough no matter what. But then now all these things are also, uh, in the mix. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, Absolutely. There's 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 a ton that gets said here and it's it's very quick. You've got to catch it. So it's there. Absolutely. It is okay, there. Yeah. It is there. So then that's there. and I that's what I try to, you know, uh in you know, inspire in the kids is that your life is 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 very rich if you choose to mine it. There is stuff there. That and that's was, why it's interesting to see profound. that. That's that was deep. really good. It was rich if you choose to mine it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that. So I I I, I, te- I write that on the board. I write that. Day <laughs> oh, so you one. know it's good. Yeah, I know it's good. <laughs> it's then, it is. And then the second thing I learned from this book is um, if you uh, if you chase money, you'll always get bitches. But if you chase bitches, you'll you, never have any money. You'll never have any money. It's like the most you interesting on- fortune cookie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You write that on the board too. Yeah, I mean they get it. <laughs> I get it. You know. Oh, I think everybody gets it. God, <laughs> I'd be money hard pressed to find somebody that the but, thing that he. But that's oh, in, that's actually that's in the, the book. Spirit of what he said, and that's real shit. Yeah. And that is like that's real fucking life. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not telling kids like you should like. Consider all girls bitches, you know. Right. But right. but it's that's a real that that, that is the that real goes, world. That, but that go, but that goes right. that goes to my point. If we don't expand on those things, yeah. you could take all this stuff at face value and and not necessarily so you have think to, beyond yeah. that. You know what I mean? And that's why I'm always interested in what the students write in reaction to a text like because you got because then yeah. you have an idea of what to sort of focus on and and and, and sort of um, I, I don't know pull. 
uh, when you're when when you're bringing bringing people back together and, and really getting into it. So I guess a, a wrap up for me anyway is if you don't take the the step back and teach this book as this is where he was. Sure. Right. That's that's yeah. And like, cause it seems cool. That's a point, yeah. Joyriding, getting like it's, it seems fucking cool. Like that is just that's a Philly life, man. I yeah. dig that's that's my life. It's like, yes, but it can change for the better. You know, in in very profound ways, and I, I think that's what M. K. Asante. That's why he wrote it, and that's why he, I think that's what he wants is like your life can be this, and it can be shitty, but you are the um, you know you are are the architect of your life. What's what's the uh, he? Sorry, I'm just gonna read from this. It's from the Leaves of Grass shit, right? Do I contradict myself? Uh, leaves of Grass. You know, it's from Leaves of Grass. Uh, very well, then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And some yeah. of those multitudes are, you're not just joyriding and getting blowjobs at the strip club. Yeah. You know, that's part of you. Absolutely. But you're larger well, than that. And that's, and that's the thing. We don't want to, you know, because I had students uh, at Alney who had MOB tattooed on their faces, you know, and, and yeah. money over bitches like that. Um, that is, you know, if you see somebody else, it almost justifies your belief in that. And yeah. if we don't look beyond it then we kind of stagnate at that place, which I think he's certainly arguing one doesn't want to do, mm -hmm. but we have to make sure that we do sort of like get past. And that can get lost if you don't. It can. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because yeah. it's all quick. It is quick for sure. It comes yeah. at you quick um, without a doubt. To wrap it up, I know, uh, Eric, you have, how, yeah. how the well, fuck would I teach that? Just a couple of sort of closing comments. I think that my reluctance comes from a lot of the content, which is pretty gritty. Um, some oh, yeah. of it, you know, um, and I think that our school where we teach is, you know, I've taught in Olney too, um, and some other high schools also. Not competition. No, but I win. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that at the school where we are right now, the culture of our school is penetrated by the influence of the parents in a way Absolutely. that different. my other schools weren't. And so I would have to be able to explain the fuck out of why I have given their Justify kids Justify with this academic book. research. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like I would struggle to do that. You don't have to. MK's done it for you. His NPR interview. Right, which I read the transcript of. Um, yeah. And one of the things that, that I pull out of that is exactly what I think the merit of this book is, is that it lends voice. You know, It gives credence to an experience that isn't necessarily uh, offered in, or seen in literature a lot. And I think that it's beautiful in that way. Um, and I'm going to make, just in closing, the inevitable comparison to The Great Gatsby, uh, which we all saw coming, I think, which is, and I've been teaching that, and so it's in my head. And one of the things that uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said was that a writer should write for the youth of his generation. And I think Asante has done that sort of brilliantly. Um, and... You know, like Gatsby, you know, Gatsby is this is a time capsule of the 20s and of Fitzgerald's experience in the 20s. And I think that Asante does that really well. Uh, he gives us a sort of time capsule of his experience in Philadelphia and other, you know, locales as well. And I think that there is a lot to be said about painting that picture really vividly, which he mm -hmm. unquestionably does. And so yeah. for that reason, you know, I do love it and I, I could be convinced. Yeah, I mean, it's he's 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 creating dangerously. If he's not talking about his time, then then he's not. And and so we've talked about that a number of times on the cast. Yeah, and throwback. See episode two. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> was and episode two creating dangerously? Camus, my boy. I referenced Camus, and I, I read it for because it was of, for no for uh, the brief Trump cast. reign of Phil. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So speaking about one's time, yeah, how quickly you forget. I know my shit. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but that that is that is a really important thing. And, and, and you know, I don't know if you guys are watching. You can make fun of me. I don't give a fuck. But I'm watching a little bit of a Z about Zelda Fitzgerald. I watched that. And, and, and one of the things that shows up there is Gatsby, or Gatsby, Fitzgerald goes back to Princeton, you know, where he didn't finish. And, and then you, you have him... Uh, berating his old professors saying that you're just picking literature that cozies up to these wealthy kids and you'll never be uh, at their level, you know, and you start to see the foundations of Gatsby showing Mm -hmm. up as he's making this speech. Um, And it's interesting because I no way do I want to say, oh, all the old dead writers are are, are of literary merit and worth and nothing new has, has that worth that, you know that, that it's it's not it's not in that same way, and 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 I do I did think of that as I was reading this. Like, yeah, that's a very profound and important point, right? There needs to be a new voice, a new commentary, and and not everything is going to be the way you'd prefer it to be, but everything is in some way a stepping stone to something mm-hmm. something else. And I think uh, Asante's piece really is a stepping stone, and I would love to see his next, and I would love to see. The, the product of the students that uh, and, and people in general who read this um, and then and take from it and, and then what they produce. I'm um, frankly thrilled to see the, the film adaptation of it. That's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's gonna be pretty cool. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be so uh, sort of like uh, compartmentalized I would have I would sure. imagine because uh, just the way it's written. Yep. Or yeah. it could be really bad. It could be really bad. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, one or the other. Like that David Foster <laughs> Wallace one with Jason oh, Segal. disagree. I didn't see it, but that's okay. <laughs> Moving forward, uh, any closing, any other closing comments on Buck before we move I, forward? I thought it was wonderful. Uh, I've said that before. Yeah, yep. I like it. Every time I tweet at MK Asante, he retweets and likes it. So nice, solid, nice. small community. Yeah. Dig it. Yeah. yeah, but he does it for everybody. So sometimes I don't feel as pretty. I understand. Yeah. Well, but still, if you get something, something, you know, <laughs> I did it in class. I was like, I'm going to tweet him right now. Oh, yeah. And I did it. Well, this then, guy's getting Joyce Carol Oates likes yeah, over here. Yeah, a couple of retweets <laughs> from JCO. JCO. There's a Lawrence Arm. <laughs> and I feel beautiful. They're on an acronym basis. Yeah. There's a Lawrence uh, Arm song called Joyce Carol Oates is One Boring Old Biddy. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we move into The, the Bouncing, bouncing souls. souls. The Bouncing uh, Souls? Uh, how I Spent My Summer Vacation. Um, <laughs> man. Man, man, man. Everybody. Uh, this is a divided table. This divided table. Everybody, you know, uh, for the most part, when you're, when you're, you know, because I reacquainted myself, I own a Bouncy Souls album, Hopeless Romantic. Uh, That's awesome. I have that one. Sorry. And, and so uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I'll, and I'll preface it with this. I own Hopeless Romantic. I liked Hopeless Romantic. Um, yet the Bouncing Souls bring back to me terrible memories mm-hmm. because when the bouncing souls came out and when honestly the 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 rash of bands sounding like that came out mm-hmm. um i was in a band that sounded like come on uh, tootsie <laughs> <laughs> toots uh i was in a band that 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 sounded more like mars volta and tool and we would get lumped into shows with these bands that sounded like that um and it was infuriating because mm-hmm. a it just seemed so <laughs> goddamn easy uh, and 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 B honestly, it just um, and, and and I'm really gonna dig in a little bit here because this is this is kind of how I feel about the whole pop punk scene. Oh, fuck um, that shit. Which is hey. Which is hold on, hold on, hold Sorry. on. I'm very heated. Which is you are, and I think I'm 
I'm adding some gasoline to that fire. Uh, <laughs> I'm also heated. Yeah, because you're going to come at me. I understand. I'm going to come at you like a yeah. spider monkey. <laughs> so so here's the thing, though. Talladega Nights? Uh, yep. No, I, I caught it. Uh, uh, the Bouncing Souls are like uh, like superficial punk. They're, they're like aesthetically punk. Um, and most of pop punk is. And it, it just bothers me so, so goddamn much because... It's 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 like posing exactly, and that's my problem with the bouncing souls. Take it away, anybody. I'm well, first of all, the hating- fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to co-sign that. Fuck you. <laughs> this is so funny because it's coming right after like an exclusively Nick episode that was like Nine Inch Nails and uh-huh. fucking Zadie Smith. So by all means, can I can uh, I add to the yeah. the hatred? Just uh, be Do very quickly, yeah. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Here's why I hate all of pop punk. And a lot of uh, music from the early aughts is um, the early aughts. That's what it's called. Yeah, that's no, so I got lame. It. Yeah. it sounds like a guy who doesn't listen to punk. <laughs> sounds like a guy who listens punk. to pop punk. So in the early in the early aughts, I had my peers creating music, and you know I was creating terrible music. In hindsight, now I was more concerned with being good. Well, you were like thirty five then. <laughs> no, I was the exact age these motherfuckers were then. Right. I was more concerned with being good at the guitar, thinking that that would lead me to write good songs, and that is not the case. That no, is no. not the case it's at all. At all for anything, not at all. you don't not have to be all. awesome at a thing to create. You know what? Okay, something of that's worth. A, yeah, that's a different conversation. So when when the bouncing souls were, uh, you know, bouncing, bounce. Thank you. <laughs> when when Since good, 1989, bitch. 88. Oh, thank you. <laughs> when good Charlotte was. Being you good. can't oh, lock yeah. them into that. Yes, you, you can. absolutely you can. You're no, sitting too close to me to say something like that. You can't. His do hand that. went up. Yeah. I thought the bottle. And he's got a ring on. That little seven ounce bottle was gonna find its way to the bridge of your nose. I, I think was I'm like, gonna... that would have been very yeah. punk. Like way to defend them. Nicely done. I'm gonna curse on this episode but he did more not. than I ever have cursed on. Yeah, it's because I'm excited. They're not real punk. Just like their fans aren't real punk. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Brutal. I'm sorry. That's po- that was buttons. you just poking people. Poking. So I've listened to this album twice now. So yesterday and today, and I looked at it in two lenses. So I looked at it in the lens of, oh, all right, I'm in high school, and I'm like, all right, I can see how this would have appealing. Um, I would would have listened to this when I was in high school, and listening to it today, I'm like, all right, does it hold up? Mm-hmm. And no, it does not. Like, right. It, it just well, you mispronounced. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, I listened to a lot of other albums that I listened to back then, and those still held up to me. Like my At the Drive-Ins hold up to me, and they usually get lumped in with that, uh, especially the first three albums with that pop punk mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of scene. Well, the people who lump them into that are idiots. Here's them. Here's, here's right? my. But because they went beyond it, and I don't think the Bouncing Souls ever went beyond something like this album. Let I, me I think touch they on stagnated. That. Actually, frankly. this was. I'm gonna be honest. This was. As high as they got. No, actually, Anchors Away. The one after this is, like, quintessential for me. Um, but before this, like, Hopeless Romantic. Yeah, dude. It's a little faster, a little grittier. Well, actually, it, it's the one where their their drummer didn't want to play punk rock anymore. Uh, oh, really? And they had, yeah. <laughs> I don't and they know had, why like, he wouldn't want to do that. You know what, Daniel? I swear to Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they had major problems with that album. Like major issues, um, recording it and writing it, yeah, and like hope. Uh, um, how I spent my summer vacation was sort of like 
their first record in a lot of ways. Um, okay, do tell. Uh, well, it was it, they they it's were immature. firing on all on all cylinders in terms of how they felt that they were writing their songs. Um, they got a drummer, uh, Michael McDermott, who held the band better than Shell did, their previous drummer. Um, they were at a point where they decided drummers make or break a band. Can we? Oh, that's, and the drummer is the only worst. member of this band that's that's rotated at all. Right, right. The the other the three founding members are still right, right. But uh, you know, I yeah, I, I I responded to this album differently in high school than I do respond to it now. That's natural. Um, sure. Does it hold up? Yeah, it, it holds up because like punk rock. This this sort of punk rock came out of uh, um, you had guys who left families to go drive on the road and play music that was spontaneous creation that was loud and fast for people to sing along to and that's all like that was their intent always their intent would you consider um like your experience with 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 the bouncing souls like a darkness that's all your own (laughs) (laughs) did it go straight to your heart look greg look they're not did you, poets, did you man. Carry it with you. <laughs> here's here's the thing though, because if, until if when gonna, if you're until gonna be if you're, if you're gonna be gone. critical of lyrics, then we can be critical of New Order, right? Uh, yeah. Arguably the Who, yeah. arguably the worst. Nine Inch Nails ever, said ever fist made. fuck in a song. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> but here's here's a, but here's the thing, you can't you, you can't be critical. I, of I, lyrics I, I, lyrics I almost to, always shitty. I'm I'm gonna have to really right. call you on that because yeah, there, there's so many great right. uh, bands that have have. Subpar lyrics. I, I would argue that P. Townsend should have never put pen to paper and put words down. No. Like music notes, sure, but words never. I'm just poking, poking the. Yeah, certainly poking he's a, the giant. He's a he's a pokeman. He's a, well. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. During 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 the the, the time that this album came out, th- this was you you gotta recognize that this was a thing that so many bands were biting on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, every local group was biting because it was easy to do. And the Bouncing Souls did it the best. Right. So here's the thing, and I got I gotta disagree. If I'm listening to Bouncing Souls, I would prefer AFI. Mm-hmm. I would prefer Rancid. You, you can't even. Yeah. These are apples and oranges. Uh, I disagree with that because because frankly, okay, let's think about it. Right, they're, AFI they're, was like was was like almost horror punk at this point. AFI was eyeshadow, but and Bouncing Souls are not. I guess eyeshadow. I'm more of a glamman. <laughs> I've thought as much, and, and yeah, Rancid were uh, were came from a, a clash school of thought. Exactly. You know exactly. what I mean. But when we're talking about this time period. We're talking about when this album came out. In 2001. Those bands were making very similar sounding records. Mm -hmm. And that's the point I'm trying to make, is if you're making these similar... During that time, it was almost like just this wash of that sounding stuff. And and I'll be be frank, like it was very, very easy um, uh, to to make uh, songs that sounded similar, uh, to get shows, and, and, and to play arguably as much as you want. Like that was like... And I, I won't say that it's emo because I don't think it is, but I will say this: that that emo I think might be the and, and Michael and I were talking about this earlier. Emo might be the last genre uh, to, to exist before it just became that word has no meaning now. Mm-hmm. Like everything is just blown to smithereens. And and what happened then is because it was something new, right? You have your dashboard confessionals, you have your My Chemical Romances stuff like that. Um, they're all very uh, similar ilk. 
And that was happening at such like uh, 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 in such a huge way that it was like instantly popular. Um, and 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 you could, I, I think you said dance to it, uh, or or at least could at least pogo and pop bop around. To yeah, it. yeah, exactly. And 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 because it had that quality, uh, this is a fucking gone. Is is a goddamn earworm, man. Like that. I I've been I've been uh, inadvertently like without even you know. <laughs> trying singing the the chorus of that quite a bit um that's what that was another mark of that that type of music and and it's and it's all over the place the thing is is like they're from new brunswick right yeah so from new brunswick you also get thursday and i much prefer thursday to the bouncing souls every day of the week and and this is what i'm talking about it's a different it's a different school right i was i was playing like tool uh, uh, you know that 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 kind of stuff, like Tool Mars Volta type stuff. I was on shows with these guys where every band sounded the same. Mm-hmm. Every band sounded the same for years back then, right? I started playing uh, bars in '99, right, like 14 or 15, whatever. And then for the next like three, four years, every band sounded the same. But and it weren't all there a million like bands this. that sounded like Thursday too? Like yes. didn't Taking Back Sunday exactly. come out? That sounded just like excellent Thursday. point. Excellent point. And every band, so many and bands when, ripped off Thursday as well. That post punk and right. at became the, the drive-in exploded, and everybody started sounding like them. Like there were so I many like so much like post hardcore bands that came out at the same time. I I I would say that that the phenomenon that was. The, the the pop punk. Well, I don't. I can't even throw the bouncing souls into that. Like you have just I, because you have a pop chorus to. doesn't mean you're pop punk. Like pop punk had a very different meaning at that time. It, it was like punk rock is so. Um, there there are so many different shades of punk that I don't Absolutely. think people understand. Well, Blondie's Blondie's punk, and yet they play disco music, right? Well, so like I, I I so like I totally I totally and Nick does not agree. And while the souls came out around the same time as you had radio earworm pop punk hitting the, the airwaves the souls were the guys that were underneath all of that playing it differently in that they were saying fuck that we're gonna go and and not and and not play these arena shows we're gonna do clubs we're gonna be with people is that because they were worse <laughs> I don't, that would be my argument. I, you yeah. can't you can't have success in, in terms of the the places you're playing or the audience you're playing to mean you're a better band. Like sure, Good Charlotte, sure, sure. that's a good argument. Like Good Charlotte is the shit that that came out of the pop punk movement. You had Green Day, yep. you had Blink One Eighty Two, you had Simple Plan or Green, Green Day's and then pop Girl punk. Charlotte. That's you're putting that. Uh, right? No, 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 no. I'm saying like the way the, the progression, the yeah. trajectory. Okay, you had okay. Green Day come yeah. out in the nineties. Right, right, right. Blink One Eighty Two. Built on that, put a little skate to it. Apple shampoo it. Sure. <laughs> Nicely done. And then you had Good Charlotte come out and put polish, studio, bullshit yeah. polish to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like guitar the, leads on top, you know? And, and and so you can't put... The, the Souls literally would go into a studio and record an album in two days. No polish. Nothing. It's, it's, it's distortion, treble on the bass, fast on the drums, and a hook. And right. so I, you can't like it's a different school of thought. And in terms of pop punk, they're not it. They're not I, it. Yeah, I agree. It's tough. It's tough. The, and you know, and I, I'm not musical in the way that you guys are, but uh, I got to think that in terms of touring, um, bands that tour, you know, bands that you tour with are kind of like signing off on what you do. And if you look through tours that the unless that the you're souls like hugely popular, for right, 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 right. Which I don't think 
the Bouncing Souls necessarily fit they, into that category. I, I don't think they get there. Um, but they've toured with like they've toured with Hot Water Music. They toured with yep. Seven Seconds. Lifetime. They toured with No Effects. I mean, these are fucking rad. They're Hot unquestionable. Water music is. This yeah. album <laughs> came out on fucking Bad Religion's record label. Like those guys are signing off on this shit. And right. that, the, the drummer, right. he came right. from Hot Water Music, didn't he? McDermott? Oh, then their new drummer, yeah, did. George. Most, yeah, yeah, their recent drummer. Yeah, like well, he, I, 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 I totally, I totally, I totally see that. I think it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a personal preference. Like one of, in my mind, the the greatest guitarist is is my buddy whose favorite band is Glassjaw, and he loves this the, this type of music, loves it, loves it. Another dude that I was in a band with, one of the most prolific, uh, fucking dudes, loves, 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 loves this. Doesn't call it a guilty pleasure by any means. Just loves pop well, punk and and things guilty like guilty pleasures are dumb anyway. Exactly. You you have a, a whole vendetta like against things them. Yeah. people yeah. just like shit. Exactly. Don't be afraid <laughs> of being made fun of for liking things. Exactly. But this is where we can have an argument yeah. and, and we can say one side or the other. Because to your point, well, to your point, Eric, uh, I love Fugazi. Fucking love Fugazi. My favorite band is is what the dude I was just talking about turned me on to Q and Not You, who is my number one favorite band. They're on Fugazi's label, right? Yeah. So when they're signing off on that and stuff like that, I totally, I totally am behind that. I think it's really a personal history with this type of music that absolutely it was very, very difficult. Like for instance, one of the first big shows I played with as a VFW in, in Trenton, we played with a band called Pensy Prep. They become my chemical romance. Uh, and and they were doing this stuff. I shit you not. Like I was fourteen or something, and kids like went home, fa- formed bands after the show. One of which was the Dawson River Kids, which did My Chemical Romance arguably better than <laughs> My Chemical Romance from Jersey, right? And stuff like that. But then you play these shows and you start encountering Ted Leo's. Ted Leo's Ted fucking great. phenomenal. Ted Leo and the Pharmacist, I think, is punk in a way that. Lends itself to... He's like uh, Bob Mould in, in Exactly, that exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know? And I think that those dudes resonate more with me because there's... You don't know what you're going to get every single time. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like with the Bouncing Souls, you kind of do. And, and that, I like, I like the unexpectedness and the creativity. Not to say that they're not creative. You have to be. But I would say that I, I like, I like the switching things up, the, the, the unexpectedness. And... Every now and then, I love a song that's about how awesome fucking punk music is and how great a mosh pit is. Um, yeah. But then, but then when I hear five in a row, I'm I'm a little bit, mm-hmm. and and I don't know. You don't have to have fourteen fucking chords uh, in, in in every song by any means. You probably um, shouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna have this chart. I'm gonna pick the so, hardest ones. That that's kind of my relationship with uh, the pop punk stuff from the the, the early aughts. Is is as as a musician. So you're clearly not an Ottman. No, not <laughs> as a musician and someone that was creating music at the time and actually you know making a push. You know, I was gigging. I had a band. I was in other bands. I was doing studio work for people. You know, like really trying to make a make that my life. Um, well, you're a music major, correct? Yeah, I was at the time. Yeah. Uh, so you, I looked back at we had. Uh, about 40 to 50 years of just great music to build from. And I was very disappointed in my generation for creating, that's nuts for creating pop punk. It's like you, this shit is not not fucking pop. punk. (laughs) It's not fucking pop punk. 
It's we, not. Can we call it Ot Rock? It's, it's certainly not. With a w? Can't do that either. Ot Rock. It's certainly not an improvement on the New York Dolls, which was 20 years prior. It's certainly not an improvement on, you know, the Clash. It's not an improvement on. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. You're 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 really you're you're playing a highlight reel, and and frankly, you know, in that highlight reel is a number of bands that are classified as archetypal punk who are incredibly poppy. You know, and and fucking and, and the Clash still, was pop. Oh come right. on, yeah, exactly. And reggae, exactly. And, and and but but this is what I'm talking about. But we're not still talking about the Clash. We're not going to be talking about the bouncing souls. Well, in hold on. 20s. Everybody who who lived through them and were touched by them, not like fucking. <laughs> <laughs> but anybody Whoa, who man. had a personal connection to the bouncing souls ever will be playing those records think, for their children. But I think that's why this is a great album to pick with. Uh, the the memoir that we've chosen is because it is a little bit specific, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about a locale, and 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 you know it's like uh, Ama Conrad, right? I played with them. I know them. They're a great punk band from Philadelphia that a number of people know and had a relationship with and stuff. I played their last show, open for them. A lot of if I name that, people lose their fucking minds if they know them. If they don't. Then it's nothing, and it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that that what we're we're talking about um, is 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 essentially here. It, it relates a, a pretty heavily, I think, to the buck in that way. Where Bouncy Souls are from New Brunswick, right? And and if you were around, you saw them in a basement, right? It's like all the dudes who saw Refused on their last tour and, and saw them in a mm-hmm. fucking basement. Like holy shit! Like everybody who who saw them on that ter- Terminal 5 or the Electric Factory or something is a fucking poser because you should have saw them in Brian's basement. Those are the TLA they, they toured, right? Um, the TLA? I, I saw them up in New York, so I don't, I don't really oh, okay. know. Last time they came back. But I didn't see them on that tour. Yeah. And I was kind of made to feel like the a TLA poser. is sort of like Just a basement. A, dude, I saw Modest Mouse at... And you've never um, seen a show in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's uh, a play base. I will. I will. I will co-sign that. But uh, like, for instance, I saw Modest Mouse at um, uh, uh, Radio City Music Hall, right? And I got shit on by all these people, fans leaving that. They're like, "Oh, I can't wait for the, this album to blow over and for them to start playing small things again." Well, guess what? It didn't. And 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 they're still playing that type of music, and they're still great. However. When those new albums come out, I am interested in what's going to happen because I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that I have with a lot of the music, uh, like this AFI, right? Unique changed. Uh, Always. Rancid. Uh, well, Sucked after. That's true. Rancid I guess that's 2000. a bad. Ba- Ted Leo, unique changed. Uh, and stuff like that. Bob Mould. Right, his Bob solo stuff, awesome. Exactly. I mean, he's much different than Husker Du. Yeah, you got some Husker Du's. You got some Husker Du's. But again, Husker uh, Du is fucking amazing. Exactly, and very unique. Yeah, and I think that's it's it's kind of what I didn't hear much that sounded like Husker Du. Right. You know, and, and I think I think that that's my major take with Bounce is like that personal thing, and and frankly, like. I just was I, I if, if I was to be like hey what's, what's your favorite New Brunswick not to mention I was born in New Brunswick I have a very strong Jersey connect sorry I have a I have a Brunswick tale so there was a great Go band called Marathon mm. you heard of Marathon mm-hmm. they put out an EP and a full length yeah and the lead singer was in a band called De La Hoya from uh, New York and I saw their last show in a basement in Long Island nice I saw a Marathon show in a basement in New Brunswick. And that's like I played those shows. Like that that shit was making it for yeah. me. Like that's what I did. I, that's why I played in a band. I wanted to be 
uh, on the road all the time. I totally agree. You know, I'm and, in the same exact mindset. Yeah, and and that 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 was it. And to be able to play those shows, to have people sing my lyrics, sure. that was the goal, and that's what the Bouncing Souls were. But again, I saw Marathon, and then they played St. Vitus in in uh, Brooklyn, and like these are the these are the places where punk rock is what it is. That's why it's it's not pop punk. It's not arena rock. It's not written. So I guess it's a, it's a, it's a definition of, of of pop punk. I'm looking at strictly musically and well, you what have I'm to, hearing, yeah. As well, opposed to as opposed to all this other stuff that you're mentioning, where who are you playing to, mm-hmm. right? What are your fans like and stuff like that? I totally I totally get that. Like punk dashboard, rock's a, it's a lifestyle. Dashboard confessional fans <laughs> really. are not the same as bouncing souls fans. No, I mean no. And, and, and dashboard confessional I sucks. That. <laughs> Absolutely. No, there's something Akory um, doesn't like. I like I dislike a lot of shit. <laughs> so, he hated live. Didn't Can he? I tell <laughs> fucking hate a live. very quick dashboard confessional story? Um, a confessional, a confessional, if you will. <laughs> confessional, confessional. A dashboard um, confessional squared. My my wife and her family live in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and my family's from there. Oh, sorry oh, to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're in a truck with my brother-in-law Unexpected and in one Johnstown. of our friends and. He asks me, hey, can you just give me your phone? We're going to plug it in and play some music. And the first song that comes on is a dashboard song that's just sitting on my phone. And the guy, our buddy from out in Johnstown, he, after a few seconds, he's like, fuck. I go, what? And he goes, this music's making me angry and not in a good way. <laughs> and I think that sort of is a, is, a, is a good summation. But to Gregorio's point about you know, playing it, you know, these kids who are listening to it today will be, will be playing it. I've told you, Nick, this story about this tape my dad used to have. He used to play it in the car. And when I was a little kid and side A was, uh, the Ramones, do you remember rock and roll radio? And side B was, um, shit, Brian Setzer's band. Help me. Uh, Brian Setzer's orchestra? Uh, no. Stray Cats? The, uh, the Stray Cats. Yeah. Right. Oh, the, I oh, said the, it like three oh, times. It was the, the stray cats. cats. I think it's the swing cats because you don't articulate. Anyway, <laughs> but that the side B was built for speed, and that fucking tape that he used to play for me, I can pinpoint that as the thing that like not the stray cats per se, but the Ramones that like put <laughs> me onto the kind of music I grew up listening to. And I sure. put my daughter in my car the other day. My daughter's four, and she asked to listen to to private radio, and so you know. I guess that is a mark for it being pop punk that a four year old has to listen to it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, maybe in 20 years she'll be listening to it and maybe she'll play it for her kids and maybe, you know, so it's meaningful, I think, in that way and that yeah. it's palatable for lots of different people, but it's still fucking hard and heavy and awesome and super fast. Yes. And it makes you feel good. I'll tell yeah. you what, as much as I hate it and I'm never going to listen to it on purpose, same. it is. Jared, you have your whole segment coming up. <laughs> just, just trying to contribute, guys. I'm just trying to contribute. Oh, it was. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't say it was fun to learn because I think learn saying learning the song is is giving the song more credit for whatever what it is to like play the chords. I don't call that Christ. learning. <laughs> so as much as I do not like the bouncing souls, as much as I do not like uh, whatever we want to classify this song as i will say that that um putting my hand on the guitar and making sounds uh jeff fun <laughs> is that what you get yes i am looking forward to playing this with you it seems like it's gonna be a lot of fun with the the drums 
the speed. Yeah. Um, the little <laughs> guitar line. That's going to be fun to do. Not going to lie to you. This is the first correct thing you've said. <laughs> <laughs> like improving on the song. It's going to be a lot of fun. So cheers, guys. Can I tell a Bouncing Souls story? And this is actually a, a sad Bouncing Souls story. So they, they've been... They, oh, fuck. <laughs> One time, me and my friends sat in a basement and talked about the Bouncing Souls. I'm glad I'm glad you guys... Uh, you set me up for that. Friends. Come on. Shut up! Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, so I go to... I, I talk about Fest like every episode uh, in Gainesville. And the Bouncing Souls play almost every year. Um, it's it's no secret that the Bouncing Souls records have been not good um, for a while, um, and I guess in this particular year, the the date they were playing fell on ha- Halloween night, and they came out dressed oh. as Kiss. Nice, and it was awesome, and it was funny. I feel like I'd high five them for that. Well, it was it was hilarious because Did they t- like, play they- Detroit Rock City seventeen times. <laughs> <laughs> so they come out and they're just playing their tunes, and um, I guess halfway through. People just started to roll out, mm. and it it got worse and worse and worse. And by the end of their set, which was like maybe forty five minutes, um, the club was nearly empty, and it was just four guys in their mid forties playing punk rock songs they wrote when they were twenty nine. And it was like, I feel like they should hang it up, mm. but I don't want them to. That did go away. I didn't expect. Yeah. Yes, Live and Bush are playing the uh, balloon. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was a sad bouncing. Soul I no story. longer liked about. I, I didn't think it was I agree that with Daniel sad. Now. Yeah. Yes. It, it was. It was. And a shame. then they all died on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was my my sad bouncing soul story. So let's go play gone and have some fucking fun because we're it will be fun i honestly yeah. we are probably oh my god someone take a picture of the carnage on the table like, <laughs> i actually do shit. not like this song yeah this was the one you, you like didn't pick. Yeah. um in any case gregorio <laughs> throws his goddamn dick around hey. and says we gotta fucking oh play it's the this gregorio song. dick segment <laughs> nobody covers gone everybody covers fucking mantham or private radio nobody covers gone so we're covering gone that's what we're doing do you That's think we it. can handle it in a background vocal styling? The whole thing? I mean, I mean, gah, like that, 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 there's a, there's, everybody sings that part except for the drummer. Yeah, we can do that. All right, I'm just asking you. I was throwing you a fucking always meatball on you. Always I mean, fucking, fucking naysaying. You know what the funny thing about that is, is that you're saying it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Daniel. Do we want to play it? Let's fucking Let's play, play it. it.
Wow. So uh, in complete contrast to the Bouncing Soul song, we had a little uke interlude by Michael once again. We're back. A lot back, of fun. A lot of fun. Lots of fun. Absolute blast. Uh, wish I could have been the one to play the drums on that. Of course, that was my brother, Michael. <laughs> you laid that fucking synth bass like a motherfucker. You know, C sharp, F sharp, G sharp. Can't mess with Primary it. Primary triad. Get you through it all day. Talking every about day. those black keys, baby. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> What? Uh, it's theory. It's yeah. a thing that you know. I don't know. Well, didn't you have? Because I'm have punk some, as fuck. Some... <laughs> <laughs> That's how we divide it. Yeah. We don't know anything about theory. Um, d- didn't you have some sort of like comment? You, I thought you had some sort of theory on the theory of I, the. I did. I was going to deconstruct the song theoretically, but I thought I just come across as a big giant ish. And or dork. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One or the other. Well, uh, I'll say this. We'll we'll wrap it up uh, and say that, you know, how I spent my summer vacation links pretty directly, I think, to, to Buck. Locale, digging it. I wish we wouldn't have had such a potent, sad story from, uh, from, from Nick for those who do <laughs> love them and wonder where they are right now. I but love them too. I think but... That's, but, but that's the thing. I think, I think that's the thing about um, nostalgia is at some point that has to happen. For you to go, yeah. what am I going to do now? I'm like, yeah, as you said, you know, he's, uh, what's the lead singer's playing with? Uh, yeah, the uh, lead singer uh, writes and records children's albums with his wife, and they've recently put out a children's book together. Which uh, is insane, which is insanely well. interesting because Decemberist, very pop. Uh, same yeah. thing, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we mentioned that during the December huh. episode. Same thing. It's happening. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But, but yeah. sometimes, sometimes, Fat Axel brings it. And nostalgia is 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 met with. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. What oh my I'm saying. god! How is this a Guns and Roses reference? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Talk about nostalgia. I know. Sometimes like, Guns and Roses. Sometimes you know. Fat Axel brings it. Yeah, and that's it. Can we just cut it there? Sometimes Why don't we Fat just Axel say that brings it? Slash is always good, and Axel is dependent solely upon how good Slash so I was, is. So I was late the other day to your house. I said, I'm listening to this Slash solo, and then I'll be over after the Slash solo is over. Yeah. And it was legit. But November <laughs> Rain had come on. I was like, Jesus Christ, there's too many solos. Yeah. So I, I, I actually shut the radio off and, and just came to your house. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what is called musical masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> and why some of us. I like to Rush, I'm sorry. But yeah. you, exactly. <laughs> weren't you late today because of a Kenny G album? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I choose not to comment. I, I wish. I wish we had video of Daniel's face there. And we will move it. Don't you dare drink that. I was sniffing. All right. We will move it directly. We're still friends, right? Everybody in this table, we're like, we yeah, this has been a very divisive episode, but we are we're obviously all friends. still friends. Great. So I'm friends down. with Nick Gregorio. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So um, moving forward and steadily into our beer section, uh, we have with us. The man, the myth, the legend, Jared Ruddock, who I've referenced a number of times, the proprietor of professional development brewery. Uh, frankly, I, dude, I wish I wish you would just fucking mass produce just about every beer I've ever drank that you Wonderful. that you've made. You're a fantastic you. brewer. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. And he glad waved you're... on an audio podcast. I did. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to say hi. <laughs> Sit here and drink uh, seventeen ponies. Yeah. Oh, the carnage on the table. Um, So uh, tell us what we have today. This is a, this is Jared brewed the beer, especially for the the cast today. So um, my favorite style to brew is just something very simple, the Berliner Weiss. Uh, 
it's not that expensive. So as a home brewer, you want to maximize the amount of beer you're making for as little as possible. Uses hardly any grains, mainly just water and a bunch of bacteria. So for this one, uh, we did a little Yum. collaboration. <laughs> uh, the blackberries that were used in this Berliner Weiss come from Nick Mahalik's backyard. Damn straight. Super and, sour. Yeah. The, the grapefruit tart. to add yeah, to a tart, tart sour beer. Yeah. Um, and we also added uh, peaches uh, from the orchard right by my house, uh, Lynn Villa Orchards. Which, if, if and I love the, lo- the local sort of like focus here. Like, if you get a chance, pick some fucking fruit. Or honestly, you get pumpkin. You get just about anything from yeah. Linville. That place dominates. So make awesome. A, make a cobbler. You know, do whatever with it. Brew some beer. Absolutely, it's all good. And we're keeping it local. A whole buck, whole bouncing souls. Exactly. Local fruit. That's how we are intertwined. So, so um, yeah, lay it down. Um, I have a little taste test, which is going to be lost on the listeners here, but you can kind of drop us a line. Um, we'll send you a little packet full of seeds. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Packet full of seeds. That's seeds. A and and B. Are you enveloping and mailing what could be construed as fucking? By the time it gets stamped by USPS, uh, fucking, we're we're the next anthrax. Fucking. I think that's one of the questions they ask. Are there seeds in this package? Yeah, the primary things they scream for. No, they're grains. They're malted grains. Malted grains. And the malted grains we have here are acidulated malt. So this is a malt that has basically been pre-treated with lactobacillus, which is a common bacteria used to sour things. Uh, Most often you'll see it in yogurts. So we're going to take a little snack of these and move on. This is kind of when you start the process or when I start the process of making a Berliner Weiss, um, you want to lower the pH a little bit just to make sure that the bacteria... Eat these? Yeah, go ahead. Munch on them. Yeah. Do you want to stick them up your tuchus? No, no, no. Dude, Nose. You've no, never no. had sunflower seeds? No. Just give them a little munch. Do you have to spit the shells out? Or? No. Swallow no, them whole. Swallow them whole. Give if them a crunch. You, so if you want to stick them up your tuchus, that's something you should do. Is that advisable? Um, Scientifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Lower the pH in your tuchus. Where did we go here? <laughs> oh, that's what sour. Happened? But how sour is it? Very. Right? I, but it's, it's not like... It's not offensive. So it's not like you stuck... Like you licked your pinky and put it in a jello uh, powder, right? Right. That's like yeah. sour. I'd this put that is in my yogurt. Jello? I'd put that in my yogurt. Oh, you put this in your <laughs> You like sour yogurt. Yeah, I and you know what? It's really tasty. It's yeah. really tasty. It's it's almost as if, you know, uh hits your tongue, there's almost like this film of sour on mm-hmm. it. Um and and you know, we anybody that hasn't, you know, had malted grains, uh it's it's basically like not like a sunflower seed, but kind of like a sunflower seed. Harder shell, much smaller. Um, and you eat it much the same way, except you can consume the shell. I think we cut you off. You are talking about lactobacillus. Oh, yeah. So uh, the, the grains are pre-treated with lactobacillus. And I use this along with just some normal grains that have natural bacteria on it in order to create what we call a starter. And from there, the starter is added to uh, basically what we call the wort, which is sugar water. Uh, and we have a little sample of sugar water for everyone. And this is after it's now? been soured. So this is post sour. This is post souring, so pre fermentation. So this has been Excellent. married no yeast. to the malted grain. Exactly. <clears throat> so this has been married to the malted grain and kept at about 110 degrees uh, for about three days. And at that temperature, the bacteria can kind of go wild and yeah. kind of make that like hell. Yeah. Is this going to be good for my uh, and Nick Gorgio's? And I guess, but Mahalik's. It's fucking for sugar their water. That's why for I had, a, our, I had a little bit. If you like kombucha, 
it's basically what you're drinking. Will right this get now. me drunk? No. Okay. It's not fermented, so there's no alcohol in it. Oh, right on. We said that already. Stay with us, Daniel. Come so on. Let me know what you think. Did we? Oh, I would drink that. Mm. I just did drink that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have drunk that previously. <laughs> Wonderful. If I didn't know, and then I didn't, and then I did. I would. Yeah. Is that the progressive, future progressive form? What am I, an English teacher? I don't Who? Whom's? <laughs> did, um, did you say you, so, so, it's a meme. as you as you point out a uh, lot of water right so oh yeah there's a lot of water in there even though it's cloudy yeah it typically if you if you're getting a wort it's it's gonna be much darker and you're gonna get way more malty flavor in there whereas here primarily sour it's like a a very like watery sour essentially yeah and, but and very the grains, sweet mm-hmm. The grains you use are just normal malts, which we call two-row, and I keep on saying you call or we call, whatever, But um, and wheat, where the Berliner Weiss, the Weiss portion comes from. Uh, from here, you would take this sour wort and you would ferment it, and I usually use a Brettomyces, uh, which is kind of a, a yeast used to kind of eat those sugars and also kind of add like a dry kind of... They would describe it as horse blanket, and I hate using that term just because it's kind of the snobby beer term that gets thrown around. And horse really, blanket. horse blanket, Jesus, or hay. It's like who's gonna oh, who wants okay. to taste horse blanket? Yeah, seriously, that's the snobby that. term. Oh, that's that's the snobby term. Yeah, <laughs> and when a beer has horse blanket, it's a it's a good beer. So if I went into uh, like a craft beer bar and I said. Can you recommend me something with that's heavy on the horse blanket? <laughs> they should know what you're talking about. What would yeah. I be looking for? You're going to get a, a Saison or a Saison, as people say it. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bartender in a beer bar. I feel like I know a lot about beer, but I don't know about horse blanket. If someone came in and asked me, can I have something that's heavy in the horse blanket? Out. Get out. I, <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. Get out. It is. It, it is. Uh... But I can't wait to say that to somebody. <laughs> It it is pretty. Um, I I think I I find it interesting the 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 fact that we have like bacteria propagating in the in the drink uh, kept at that one ten right. What do you have yeah. a, the electric blanket? You have a little electric blanket. I have it a cooler and wrap it in uh, blankets. Yeah, uh, and what like three days? Three days like usually that? brings the pH down. I, I keep it at three point two on the pH scale. Nice little acidity, but not too acidic. Yeah. Are those blankets the horse blankets? Uh, <laughs> that adds the extra dimension that people usually look for. I, I feel like horse. I could talk forever about horse blanket. I'm still not sure exactly <laughs> yeah. what it is. It sounds like something like the like, thick, oh, you got a horse blanket on that beer. <laughs> yeah, like some, some wildly uh, British slang. Yeah. 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 I'm going to go one and some tears on you. You better watch if I crocodile your face. Right? <laughs> what? Okay. Isn't that Australian? Probably, yeah. Do the and you also We've didn't already say horse blanket in We've... the horse blanket example. We <laughs> yeah. established that I'm garbage at, uh, at accents. Um, so but... we're going to drink the beer in a second. After you ferment it, you add the fruit, let it uh, age for a month, and bam, let's give it a shot. Do you, how, and all the do fruit, you take the fruit out? We smash, no, uh, though. We have, to, we have to note that, right? Because the blackberries especially, like, you know, uh, at their when you're, when you're picking them at their peak ripeness, you're getting, like... You know, depending on the size of your your blackberry bush, uh, like a, I was gonna say, just bush. Uh, <laughs> you get like a cereal bowl a day, right? And so you, what you have to do is you smash them to liquid, right? Put them in a ziploc, freeze them, and then the liquid is what goes goes in because all those seeds ultimately get 
Yeah, you, you filter everything when you're bottling. Uh, you don't want fruit in your beer. You know, it's going to add a lot of sugars, which can cause a beer to possibly explode. So yeah. what is what is start to finish time on a beer like this again? About uh, with the fr- if you're adding fruit, I would say two months. Wow. Did okay. you spend two months on this beer? Yes. Jesus. Thanks, Jared. Did you, you do anything else in that time? Uh, no. <laughs> Sat at home looking at the beer. That's he had a number of seen a thimble every day to make sure it was at the level. And he then, got wow, this is it. Wasted. I will say, I using the blackberries. This is the second time we've used the blackberries. The color, I I think it's awesome. Like it's almost like a peachy watermelon esque type color. It's rather lovely, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, it's rather lovely. Uh, it's rather lovely. <laughs> You're way better than me. All right. Uh, well, let's try, guys. Let's try. Let's try. Cheers. Thank you, Jared. Enjoy. Yeah, Cheers. Thanks, Jared. Thank you, Jared. Oh, my glass is winking at you. It's because yours is a mug. So smooth, dude. That's a delight. I love it. it and you're right. It is such <laughs> nice. a great uh, a beer to like introduce Several, yeah. people to sours, mm. uh, perhaps even gozas, stuff like that, right? Because it goes essentially, they're becoming insanely popular. Sours? Um, goes is actually. Because they're more tart. With the salt. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, a little bit of salt added in. Because that's the only difference, Greg. A coriander, too. Nice. That's good, Jared. That's a good beer. Thank you. Really nice. And again, Jared, this beer is called The Book Record Beer. Absolutely. This is what I'm saying. I totally think you should bottle your creations, dude. This was bottled. <laughs> you literally just poured it out of a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> They're sitting right to my right. I can see them all just like winking at me. Well, I think I've tried every professional development beer, haven't I? I think so. We're about I think I've done thirty batches. This other than the three oh five, which was sort of yeah, kind of my namesake, uh, this is my favorite. Wonderful, thank you. This is yeah. I'll be honest. Um I uh I would say that as well, we would see Goza's Sours, Berliners, um, during the summer months as well. Uh, that's another link. Like that's, I mean, Vice they're insanely beers. Yeah. refreshing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, number one and uh, number, low ABV. Number two, absolutely right. Yeah. So when you're sweating and and it's you know you got a lot of water in there, so you're you know, you're absolutely staying hydrated as much as you are enjoying a delicious beer. Can you can you measure your ABV? Yeah, this is about three point four on this one. Wow, that's. I could have this for breakfast. I could give it to my kids. <laughs> There's a bottle over there for them. He can and he will. Um, That's yeah. lower than the, uh, the all the ponies we crushed today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even though they're seven seven ounce size. Um, if you're yeah, pouring, I, I'm drinking, it's, baby. It's it's, well, it's let's one get of those that right in the mic. Let's get that right. Hold on. Let's get that right in the mic. <laughs> It's a weak scream. <laughs> that would not self-flush. <laughs> that stream. It's too weak a stream for a self-flush. Yeah, definitely not happening. That was yeah. like ASMR for like 10 seconds. <laughs> There's it's that voice a, from the heavens again. It's, it's going to be a YouTube clip. I mean, it's interesting because do we, would we consider this, Jared, a, um, I wouldn't say a phenomenon, but like, a very new trend that people are really moving towards the sours recently. Yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, for the longest time, IPAs were just crazy. Everyone wanted IPAs. They want hops, 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 hops. 
Uh, I think people really wanted something more refreshing and hops, just the bitterness and sometimes just it's, it's not refreshing. It's a very abrasive. Yeah. And this, on the other hand, and sours to me are very refreshing. Do we, and, and this is, this is the thing about the IPAs is like, I used to be a uh, hopsman for a while and I uh, would only drink the IPAs and I think we discussed it before, but that wrecks your palate, you know? So when you're trying to drink something else, do we find that the sours will wreck your palate in a similar way? Or? I don't think so. I don't think you're really going to get like a, a fatigue from drinking too many sours. I, th- I still think you could taste all the flavors that are intended in the beer. Whereas hops, that the hop oil probably is still sitting there on your tongue, just mm-hmm. blocking everything else. Yeah. I feel like you can yeah. get like a, your, your, your belly starts getting a little too sour. That, that could you have be the too thing. many of these. Right. That probably goes well, before the, lack, the taste profile. Lactobacillus. Lactobacillus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lactobacillus. <laughs> so some of the IPAs now, they, I'd say in the past couple of years, they started making this shift towards like juicier ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Chamonix Creek makes a John, which is juice ale. Juicy it's not like exactly like an IPA, but it's, a juicy IPA. Nugget nectar's pretty um, juicy. It's juicy. Yep. yep. Same uh, hop. <clears throat> oh, nice. John is uh, juicy ale with nugget, and nugget nectar is nugget hops. Nugget. Oh, that's actually a strain of hops. Yes, nugget. it is. Yep. How about that? There you yeah. go. Yeah, it's like. Well, we had the citricado on here. Yeah. Citra hops. You know, specific ones. I feel like have a certain. Um, you know, because some have like uh, different uh, fruits that are inherent to them right you get like a little little pineapple a little bit of this that and the third depending on which one it is um i feel like this has been very informational i think we should phone a friend every uh podcast <laughs> for jared just to yeah can you like phone in definitely yeah or just like pre-record. i don't have to wear pants then it's perfect can we pre-record <laughs> you're not like, wearing pants hey, now just down. like three minutes <laughs> of jared just talking about the particular the science of the beer yeah, yeah. well jared's and, and corner i think one thing to to note though too is um you know, if you are going to be home brewing, which many people do, I was taking a walk the other day and I passed literally two, two or three garages where people had serious homebrew setups, like like layered tanks. Mm-hmm. Go, you know what I mean? Like going down. And uh, if you're going to do a sour, though, would you recommend buying separate hoses, separate supplies? Yeah, everything I have for all my sour beers are is completely separate. Uh, I don't want to risk any of that lactobacillus ending up in like a stout that I'm brewing that I don't want to have a sour character. Yeah, mm. that could funk it out completely. So really, makes starts to get expensive. When you yeah, because you because you're getting have to double the equipment yeah. every single time. Yeah, absolutely. I used to have root beer on the uh, soda gun. Oh yeah, and uh, what do you mean used to? Well, we used to it means that we previously had it. Now we don't. <laughs> <laughs> What other words do you need to find? Understood. Why on earth would you remove root beer from your gun? All the other sodas started to started taste like root beer. A little hint of root beer. Well, actually, because it all comes out. That would happen at Fuddruckers all the time. Comes out of the same wiener. There's all these different tubes, but (laughs) the main wiener is the same one. You know what I'm saying? Jesus. I know what you're saying. (laughs) Tell us more about the main wiener. (laughs) So the bar I frequent. Um, they had um, that hard root beer yeah. on tap for a bit. Not your father's. Yes, and which is a nice. It's, a sh- it's for children. Very sugar. Ve- yeah, well, that I can't drink shit. that because that will ignite my my heartburn like a mofo. But also your passion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wife's in for a very. <laughs> Say hey, I had some root beer tonight. I'm I'm not even. Anyway, um, <laughs> what they root. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, the the beer that they repl- they they used after that keg kicked um, tasted like not your father's root beer for for a while, like a year. Holy <laughs> shit! That, was, you gotta clean those lines. Well, they yeah. don't. Blow I mean, it's places a dump. Oh, okay. But I love it. It's a dump. Oh, you frequent it? Yeah. Because you, sir, are punk rock. Regular punk ass <laughs> night, dude. Got to get your regular <laughs> ass night in. Yeah, gotta get that regular ass night. So you gotta get that Rabran, <laughs> uh, root beer tainted Coors Light. It wasn't pleasant. Ooh. Yeah, wasn't no. Pleasant. Um, I'll be honest. I uh, recently went to Maniac Brewery. Um, who, I I don't know. I went a few times. Didn't uh, the the beers? I think they were going for like IPAs and stuff like that. One, as we said, it was like super popular, and they and, and it was like a miss, frankly. Not to disparage the brewery, but felt like it was a miss. Went recently. They had a uh, belly flop goza, which was English cucumber and melon. Very nice, it's delicious. Really good, really good. And I like I, their blonde. Well, that's the thing. I was gonna say. I just I looked She's at there all the recent. No way! No way! So I, I I was looking at their their you know their upcoming beers and the ones that they have currently almost exclusively every single one involves uh, fruit has fruit in it and is a lower ABV and not they're all sours but they're all uh, Weisses or, or something like that hmm. and I was like huh I guess this is they found their wheelhouse perhaps or they're capitalizing or just on... for the season right they, they right, do have like a pretty true, meaty stout yeah I'm not even. Uh, sure if i if i noticed it but in any case yeah. it seems to be something that uh some of the local breweries are doing as well absolutely delicious I thank you the one question i have everyone that opens this they they have a distinct taste one or the other fruit so i wanted to kind of see what everyone thought here because i, I get, definitely get one fruit and i don't want to say which one but everyone else i talk to gets the other one you put well you already said right equal amounts so there was uh five pounds of blackberries five pounds of peaches so which one is it i definitely get peach you get yeah, peach okay i was gonna say i got peach immediately I too, I'm gonna go peach. I think I'm gonna say peach as well. That's yeah. what I say. Everyone I, else I says blackberry. So no very, kidding. yeah. Wow. Do you do, good pellets here? Know that it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Man, well done. My Coors Light soaked palate really uh, <laughs> paid off today. Yeah. Cheers, it's guys. a blank slate. <laughs> this has been uh, a yes. very good beer to have. Yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent, 100%. excellent. Um, and Jared is a, so, is a new host, so yeah. <laughs> Cheers. I will never be back. <laughs> well, I thank my uh, friends and colleagues for, for joining. I uh, I absolutely had a fucking blast. And, Lots uh, of fun. That is the summer reading episode. Episode six. We've done six. We've done six. Unreal. Unreal. Absolutely. Halfway there. And, uh, as, on a prayer. As, <laughs> as, as a side note, we have decided we're going to try and reach out to some we are all about supporting your local establishments. We're going to try and reach out to some uh, local record stores, bookstores, and breweries. And uh, throughout the summer, stay tuned for some live uh, coverage if you want to join in. Michael, take us out on some uke, baby. Oh, those sweet sounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to plug you for some social media as, stuff. As you should. Let's, cut, um, let's make that clean. Let's make that clean. Make sure uh, you check us out on social media. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Book Record Beer Podcast. You can uh, look us up on Twitter at Book Record Beer and Instagram at Book 
www.record.beer. We're also on iTunes, so don't forget to subscribe and star and rate and all that good shit. Um, and they're trying to screw with me again. Uh, anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, have a great month. Woo! Nicely done. We did it. That was a blast. Postscript. Holy shit, you guys. A woman thought us cool enough to hang out with. Writer and editor Maddie Anthes. Joins the dudes in the basement next episode to discuss Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, Springsteen's seminal album, Tunnel of Love. <laughs> and don't forget Down East Brewery's Craft Cider. We stray from the brew. Very timely and tasty. So, if you're out there, read up, and we'll see you on episode seven, my babies. <laughs> <laughs>